We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Bill Strahan, EVP of Human Resources for Comcast Cable. Bill and I know each other from our longstanding partnership between Comcast and Bridge Between. He has been a trusted and reliable partner and always accepts invitations to speak with the Comcast leadership teams or ERGs that I am fortunate to support. Welcome to ROG, Bill. Hey, thanks, Shannon. It is excellent to be here. It is awesome to connect with you and get the chance to learn from you. For our listeners, let's just give them a little background about you, Bill. Sure. Uh, Local guy. I I love to say that, uh, you know, I'm uh, so lucky in that I I do what I do for a living at the most exciting company in my hometown here in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, what's wrong with that? Been in HR really my entire career. So it's it's starting to press up to about 40 years, Uh, you know, weird beginning Uh, started with a degree in theology. I had every intention of becoming a professional theologian until myself and my professors figured out I wasn't smart enough to do that. Um, And that, you know, maybe that wasn't the, um, maybe that was not the path to riches. Um, And I went back and I actually asked one of my professors, like, hey, what what do you think I should do? And he says, you know, my brother-in-law does personnel. You remind me a lot of him. You should go do that. And so that, that's literally how I got into HR work and uh, have progressed and been the subject of generosity uh, since then. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. And as the senior most person of human resources at Comcast Cable, you model generosity. You say you're the recipient of generosity. So what are some of the ways that you have seen generosity in the workplace? Sure. I think where I've seen it um, is, and I think the number one thing is the allowance of micro failures, you know, the, the allowance of small mishaps with neither the sense that they're being cataloged or that they're being stored up or that they are being levered in a particular meeting or a particular project in, in general. We all make mistakes. We all have things that have been a little bit easier, a little bit more difficult for us. And when the rest of the team, the rest of the community, when another individual allows us to have that moment of mistake or failure and then really create it as a a teachable moment, as opposed to somehow a, a liability that I'm walking around with, waiting for it to explode at some point in the future, that I think that does so many you know, positive things. And generosity can be a, a cultivator and can enrich that process of growth mindset for me as an individual and, and for all of it. I, I've seen it with even people who, you know, we were a big company. We are a big company. And the, the folks that are at the top of the house here are, are serious, senior, capable business leaders. And, and 
I think people of high character, but, but they're very capable folk. But, but I've seen them even be the recipient of generosity that has been to their personal advantage and to the advantage, frankly, of the company. I love what you're saying here. When you're talking about micro failures, like what is an example of something that you've experienced that would be in that category? Because of course there's catastrophic failures, right? Things that are just dealt with in a totally different kind of way. What you're describing are these very innocent, normal human mistakes that happen when we're just busy and we're running and we're juggling so many things. Like what comes to mind when you think about a micro failure? I'll share one that happened within the last 48 hours. So here we are in the, you know, in the world of COVID and we're still having to modify how we're going to bring thousands of people back to this campus that I'm sitting in, in Center City, Philadelphia. And one of the restrictions that we're dealing with is, and I won't go into all the details, but uh, unless everyone in a place is fully vaccinated, there's going to be restrictions. And I made the suggestion of, hey, we've got two towers. Should we take one of the towers and make it a an unvaccinated place? Steve Crony, who's the CFO and the greatest gentleman on campus and, and one of the smartest folks on campus. And he said, that just wouldn't work. Why, why wouldn't somebody just stay home? He, he could have done the, that was just stupid. He, he could have smirked. Um, he could have also lacked generosity by pretending I didn't say something stupid and allowing it to sit there, either for me to eventually come to the conclusion that it was kind of a dumb idea or alternately, let everybody else sort of, you know, fester through and, and grow this idea that, that it was dumb, maybe not wanting to take a senior person on to say it. He, he completely cleared the air of the room, completely moved us on to more productive work and was gracious with me in the way he did it. Yes. Oh, that's so incredible. And there's a lot of things in there to unpack. Number one is your humility of sharing this example to help us to really ground ourselves in a recent example that you experienced. And I think your willingness to put it out there and then to have us, you know, we hear a lot now about psychologically safe work environments. And part of that is that ability to be wrong sometimes or to make a call that's not quite on the mark, but at least it's because it's accepted, you can build on it. The point you just made, I think is so important. I I know a a big part of your work here with the podcast is the notion of return, not just exampling generosity, but return. I I think that's where, for me, one of the elements of return when generosity begins with when you create that culture, um, whether you think of it as sort of a communal growth mindset um, or the allowance of failures, I think it is one of the practical drivers of creativity. You can have all the great workspace in the world you want. You can have all the, you know, no, no disrespect to anybody, but you can have all the great facilitation you want. But if you can create an environment where my small failures, my mid-sized failures, born of good intent, are received with generosity, which, which again, doesn't mean letting people off the hook for making a mistake, but it, it's saying the mistake is the mistake. You are not the mistake you're wanting to suggest this was not the mistake. That creates an environment where creativity and innovation can flourish. Totally agree with that. A point that you're making here, Bill, around the reciprocity or that give and take and that ability to 
to assume positive intent. Like you're saying that, you know, you are not the mistake. The act itself is something that's not quite on the mark. When you referenced Steve Crony and your respect for him, I wonder how much that plays into it. Like how much of a requirement is it for us to have past experience and kind of equity with individuals who we are willing to give a break to and and accept their mistakes as learning opportunities versus people who maybe we don't have that kind of history with and maybe it's not as easy to accept them as learning opportunities. What do you think about that? Excellent question. Within the team, within the community, uh, where those relationships of um, extended equity connection, trust, all all of those elements occur. I think that is what I think of as the cultural bucket, that that suggests that as you participate in the culture of the organization, the culture of the organization is healthy and strong and biases towards inclusion, biases towards innovation, creativity, and uh, growth. I think that's a case where when the culture and the, the practice of the company leans towards engaging people of high character who bias towards leadership, they don't need to know who you are in order to be interested in driving towards that kind of generosity. And I think that's one where the notion of leadership and an inclusive culture begins to marry together meaning the the expression of inclusion, the expression of generosity, the the act of leadership, even if it's in a just a pairing, becomes um, something that I can do 360 degrees. It's too often we think of leadership as the function of an org chart, and we think of it as a downstream exercise. We can also think of inclusion that way, and that's just wrong-headed. Inclusion it can really and, and it is almost by definition either shown or shun 360 degrees. You know, just that, that human connection. I, I think there's a generosity there of, you know what, I, I, I'm connecting with you and I, I'm going to make that the point. I, I'm going to give you the generosity of acknowledging your humanity and invite you to acknowledge mine. It makes perfect sense. And I think what you're saying is civility is a form of generosity, right? Greeting people, eye contact, caring about people. And then I, I love your point around the bias toward inclusion, the bias toward leadership. And that's like the assumption that you make, like you create a culture where being that way is the norm. And let's see how we can fix this. And it makes make the person aware. So what are other ways that you have seen generosity at work, Bill? Yeah, I think, Chen, one of the, the best places where um, you, you can put this on display and you can find examples of it is the way people conduct meetings. You know, it's very easy to use. Um, and, and, and it's, it's interesting to me. It's um, almost multiplied when you're on zoom or Microsoft teams or something like that, where a, a person who's in a facilitation role, whether they're sort of a senior person who's convening a meeting or uh, whether they're, you know, sort of a, a master of ceremonies kinds of person or not, um, can make sure that people have an opportunity to participate a little bit through the agenda, but also a little bit through, you know, doing more than just any questions, any comments, good, let's move on. 
Um, I, I think there's, it, it's funny, there, there's sort of this notion of, you know, the good meeting is hyper-efficient. We, you know, want to know exactly what's going to happen in the meeting and all the rest of that and agenda and who's going to speak and they're going to speak for three and a half minutes and then somebody else is going to get 97 seconds. Yeah, okay. If, if you're really trying to drive towards the, the simplest communication or the simplest conveyance of information, I guess maybe that works. But I think almost always, um, you know, those kinds of meetings are an opportunity to put your culture on display, to, to stress test it, but to also run a little bit of an apprenticeship in leadership, in management, in, in culture, in the course of these things. You know, inviting an extra person into the room who wouldn't otherwise get there is a generous thing to do. When we come back, Bill will share his thoughts about how to generously conduct meetings. Hello, I'm Joe Panfield, President and CEO of the T. Howard Foundation. We fulfill our mission to increase diversity in the media industry by offering college students paid internships with major media companies. As a result of their internship experience, nearly 200 of our interns are hired every year in communications, marketing, and even on-air talent. For more information about our program, visit t-howard.org. And we're back with Bill Strahan, the EVP of Human Resources for Comcast Cable. You've seen situations or, you know, I've seen situations where sometimes a junior person is put on the spot. You know, hey, Henderson, what do you think? And then it's almost like we all sit back and watch Henderson flail about and, you know, panic. Well, that's that's not generous. That that, that can borderline on bullying. it, you know, as opposed to, you know, Henderson, you've, you've worked on the marketing for this thing. Are, are you hearing anything differently today that would make you want to change the way we approach marketing? Is there anything we should hear that you've learned along the way? So it, it's, you, generosity doesn't just happen, right? Ge- generosity can be architected and you can be... You can be practiced at being generous, right? So how I ask Henderson that question or somebody asks Henderson that question or invites them to participate, you know, it's, you get this a lot in inclusion and diversity work of that, you know, one thing is being invited and other things being asked to dance, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, even the way you ask somebody to dance can vary and, and people can be better at it or not. Um, I think that a lot of generosity emanates out of people who are who, who allow themselves to experience their own empathy and who allow that to come to the surface transparently more often, become better and more skilled at generosity and figure out how to do things. And meetings, again, are, are just a, a perfect example to say it is worthwhile to invest some time and resources, which is they're scarce, but to invest them in building out people's confidence and in people's sense of belonging on the team, there is a long-term payoff for that. Mm, spot on, Bill. 
And the point about belonging is also echoed in how the facilitator or the leader of that meeting or even just participants in the meeting handle the random dog barking or child Zoom bombing or, you know, like all of the ways in which your personal life kind of shows up in your virtual reality or your virtual world. Um, And I think that gracious acceptance of that and really the courtesy or the kindness expressed to the person who's having those unexpected interruptions. I I think that's really a a good thought, Shannon. And and the way, one of the things I guess I I would make the observation is, is that, um, you know, let's just say, you know, I got the dog barking or the plumber shows up or, you know, whatever, all, all those kinds of things. That, that's happening these days, or when you know when we're in the office, it's somebody who need, needs to work elsewhere that day, or needs to take the phone call from the family, or, or, or whatever. There can be a transactional acceptance of that, of like, fine, go ahead, no harm, no foul. We'll see you back here where the work is being done when you're concluded. There's a, the generous element and the powerful element. I think there's a just a hint of celebration to it of I am so delighted to see you in a more full dimensionality than I ever would have before. Right. Uh, it, it, and it's everything from literally just seeing you know, rooms in people's homes to, to seeing their children, to, to seeing their pets, to you know, uh, seeing even just how they dress maybe differently. When you can get to the point of wow, what a gift you've given me by exposing me to things about you as a person that I otherwise wouldn't have had. I am now not simply going to say no harm, no foul. I'm going to say, you know what? That was fantastic. Spot on. And when you said the respect and celebration for people managing their lives outside of the office, like the things that are going on, I love the word celebration. And it's true. I mean, sometimes when people's young children or pets join the call. Again, not intentionally, but it's a delight. So when you spoke earlier about how the return on generosity, it allows us to accelerate innovation. I'd love to hear more around that. Yeah, I, I think that is so important. Um, so let, let's kind of back up a little bit and just talk about innovation for a second. I think, um, you know, so often companies and teams and, and, and individuals um, get innovation wrong in that they think that innovation emanates from somehow being smarter than the next person to your left or to your right or having the, the flash of insight that no, no other human being in human history has ever thought of this before uh, until, you know, I did. And, you know, there's an element of that, but, you know, not really. That, that's a little bit like, um, you know, the, the core to financial planning is to buy more lottery tickets because maybe one of them will pay off. Um, and, you know, it can work, right? It, it, it can work for somebody, but yeah, I'm not sure that's a, I'm not sure that's the strategy you want to go to a, a, for retirement, right? And, and I don't think it's the strategy you want to go to for innovation. I think when you get institutionally good at innovation, or when you become practiced personally at innovation, it's because you've really honed your skills around empathy. You've really put yourself in a position to say, 
I am going to humble myself to my user. I'm going to humble myself to my customer. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to treat them as an individual so that I can understand where is the system or the product or the environment not working for them. What's their need? What's the gap to the optimal experience for them? And then when I understand it, innovation actually becomes quite simple because it moves from I've got no idea. It's, you know, it's the creation story out of Genesis. There was nothing and now I have to create something. It moves from that to a little bit of a riddle or an engineering problem of I've actually seen the gap and now I can work on solving the gap using some of what I've known before, a, a little bit of insight and flash of brilliance, or maybe the combination of you know, more than one legacy solution, but I'm solving to a gap as opposed to I'm hoping that the lottery ticket solves my retirement problems. So now we back up one more level. If I'm going to become skilled and practiced at being empathetic, generosity gets me there. There's a lot in what you just shared that everybody can apply to their lives, regardless of their status and their corporation and their current culture. Like, how can you be the person who is taking that first step and who is in creating that environment of empathy and generosity? I can see that as a competitive advantage. When you have a generous culture, how do you see that as a competitive advantage? So I, I think when um, you've got people in a, in a marketplace and it, you know, we compete for a lot of things in the grown up world. We compete for donations. We compete for grants. Um, we compete for labor. We compete even for the discretionary effort of our teammates when they're here, just because we pay them doesn't mean we've got their passion and their discretionary effort. We're, we're competing all the time. When we are good at applying generosity so as to then use it to build up, whether it's innovation or build inclusion or build lifelong growth mindset learning. When we do that better, we become this activist organization where there's a multiplier effect of all kinds of interactions occurring. The network itself, the community itself becomes the powerful tool. And as opposed to the company that's much more rigid, much more static, where internally people have to be defensive, where they're not going to open themselves up for fear of criticism or ridicule or bullying, I have to think, and it's been my experience in great organizations that I've been in, and, and Comcast is at the front of that parade, where part of why we move so big and so fast and we're so effective at scale is because when that's an element of the culture, the scale becomes a multiplier for the full productive effect of our innovation and inclusion and learning, as opposed to a limiting factor. Indeed. And it goes back to what you said earlier about focusing on we all lead. Every single member of the Comcast Corporation is a leader and is treated like a leader. And that enables that kind of network, as you describe, to really take charge and and and. I think it could also help to correct bad behavior or behavior that's incongruent with that kind of a cultural establishment. 
And I think you're onto something here about how that is a differentiator and it is a way to retain top talent, a way to attract talent that people would recommend Comcast as a place to work. There'll be a link in the show notes for people to check out jobs.comcast.com. And I also think it's a back to return on generosity. So where do you see that as a long-term play, Bill? I, I do think the longer your strategy, the more this is effective, right? Because generosity doesn't necessarily pay off in a transactional way. You know, what are we investing in? What are we building? Um, it's why we're so acquisitive. I think it's you know why we have the capital structure we do and why we've been able to become a global organization. Well, th- this is no different than that. It's just like the long-term deployment of our financial capital. So when we do apply a little bit of generosity, we have to think of it as an investment and not necessarily a, a quick fix. It's not a it's not a plug in the hole in the wall. But if, if you do have a long-term investment horizon, then you end up with this stronger, more competitive organization. And the longer your horizon, the more time you have for that um, investment to cultivate and to build value. Mm. And I think that exactly what you're saying, Bill, I mean, the way that you've described that right now, it's it's an intentional investment in a long-term culture and a long-term outcome. So, Bill, a favorite quote or mantra, all of our guests share one. What comes to mind? I have to say my favorite quote actually comes from my wife. Uh, We've been married uh, just about 37 years. And uh, the quote is my wife, Marie, very, very smart, very experienced person herself, uh, said, remember, Bill, when you get angry, you get stupid. It's as true as anything that Abraham Lincoln or... Martin Luther King or any of the other people, Ben Franklin, that we love to quote, have ever said. Um, and it, it's, it's a good touchstone for me. Yes, that is brilliant. Thank you, Marie. And thank you, Bill, for being a generous leader and for making time to share your thoughts and insights with us, Bill. I am so deeply grateful for you. Well, same, I, I appreciate being here, but Shannon, we appreciate the partnership that we've had with you and the firm over the years. Uh, this is a, a, a wonderful uh, side benefit to all of that. And you've been a a part of that. You, you have your fingerprints are on uh, that culture yourself. So thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Three things come to mind when I think about how to apply what Bill taught us in our own lives. Number one, accept micro failures. Number two, conduct generous meetings. And three, innovate through empathy. Number one, micro failures. This might be a new expression for some of us. There are macro failures and micro failures. A macro failure is when things get so bad that a business needs to file chapter 11 or something like crashing the Titanic into an iceberg. Or more personally, if someone you love tells you that you cause them irreparable pain or damage. Macro failures are big, life-changing failures that often cause us to feel regret, shame, and sorrow for royally grave mistakes. Thankfully, these are rare. Micro failures, on the other hand, are normal, human, daily imperfections. It's saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's having a less than brilliant idea. It's getting too fired up about something, or in the eyes of some, not fired up enough. Micro failures happen daily. They're almost inevitable because we are imperfect people and are not always going to get it right. As Bill explained, accepting others and our own 
Micro failures is an act of generosity. Let it go. Learn from mistakes and share your learnings with others. As Eleanor Roosevelt said, learn from the mistakes of others. You'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. Number two, conduct generous meetings. In a meeting this week, before you call on someone and ask them to share an answer or a response, practice the art of the generous setup. Be thoughtful in the ways that you ask the question or set the context so the person you're asking can win. Call out their name, recap their point of the conversation that you want them to weigh in on, maybe even include something personal about their expertise or why you're inquiring, and then thoughtfully ask them to participate in a way that enables them to competently shine. It's a triple win. It's good for the person, you model generous leadership, and the meeting will be more productive and enjoyable. It's an interesting way to practice generous leadership. Number three, empathy as a catalyst for innovation. This point made my wheels turn ever since Bill shared it. How incredible is this? True innovation is a byproduct of empathy. We must first humble ourselves to others. Ask empathic questions like, where is the system not working for them? What's the gap? And then when I truly understand it, innovation becomes kind of simple. This week, rather than perceiving that there's pressure to be the smartest person in the room, aim to be the most empathic person. Allow your genuine curiosity to guide the discussion, ask quality questions, seek to find the gap, and collaboratively create a solution towards progress. To recap, this week, let yours and others' micro failures go. Thoughtfully ask questions in meetings so that others can shine and leverage empathy as a catalyst for innovation. Please join us next week for our 2021 recap. ROG has had 63 episodes and I share some of the common themes that we've heard from our guests and encourage us to take our ROG learnings with us into the new year. Until next week, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.